Welcome to the Sensory Change Podcast, where we learn to think differently as a community supporting sensory kids at all levels. We share all sensory matters through discussions and interviews with experts in the field to get practical ideas and simple strategies to implement in day-to-day life. Here is your host and author of Against the Odds, Dana Latter. pediatric occupational therapist holds a private practice in New York, the author of Sensory Processing Challenges, Effective Clinical Work with Kids and Teens, and the co-author of Raising a Sensory Smart Child. What an honor to have you with us. I'm so happy to be here. I know you're very busy, so we'll just start. And uh, Lindsay, how did you start your journey with sensory processing and what is sensory processing disorder? Well, um, I, uh, let's see, it's, it's, it's a long story. I'm going to give you the, the short version. Um, being an occupational therapist was my second career. And I started off working in the New York City school system, which certainly had its own set of challenges, as you can imagine. Um, And I had such a range of children that I was working with, kids with, you know, handwriting issues, as well as kids with um, physical disabilities and kids on the autism spectrum and, um, you know, such a range of children. And what really cut across all of these kids in all of these classrooms were these sort of odd, quirky, sensory issues that they were having. So I really wanted to get a handle on those and um, because they affected so many children. And I I recognize some of my own sensory issues. So um, I really... uh, became quite interested in that and pursued that. And of course, I was influenced by the work of Temple Grandin and um, ended up writing my first book, Raising a Sensory Smart Child, with the mother of a child that I was seeing through early intervention, who also, like me, uh, had a background as a writer. That's what I was doing before I became an OT. So that's how Raising a Sensory Smart Child uh, came about. Um, it was first written back in 2005. Temple Grandin wrote our foreword, which was such an honor, was revised in 2009. And we just did a major revision um, last fall. So there's a third edition out with a lot of new material. So backing up, you also wanted to know what is sensory processing disorder. Now, I tend to not use the term disorder. Um, I tend to talk about sensory processing challenges. Um, It's not an official diagnosis. It's not recognized in the the APA's diagnostic manual, uh, but of course it's very, very real nonetheless. And Quite simply, sensory processing difficulties are like this. We all first learn about the world through our senses, right? The young child, even in utero, a baby, 
you know, moves through space and touches things and smells things and hears things and once born sees things. And um, sensory processing is how the child takes all these little bits of information and transforms it into meaningful messages so he or she knows how to behave and how to respond appropriately in proportion to what's going on inside their bodies and whatever's happening in the environment. Now, because of differences in neurological wiring, and this is an oversimplification, of course, um, some kids, teens, and even adults don't take in and use this uh, sensory information in an expected way. So they may have out of proportion responses to certain sounds or um, bright lights or certain smells or, or kinds of touches um, or movement challenges. Um, so they may have these sort of unusual reactions to these things. They may also have um, some developmental delays as a result because they're not getting the sensory input, the sensory feedback that is necessary um, to develop in a typical way. They may have, often kids will have difficulty uh, with um, motor movements, um, you know, with muscle tone, with running, with, you know, all of these different things. So it can really affect all of those developmental skills. Um, so yeah, kids can be hypersensitive. That means like super sensitive to um, things like textures will feel, certain clothing will feel scratchy. Seams in socks may be intolerable. Certain sounds that we think are not that loud uh, may be just completely noxious to a child. So they can be oversensitive. Some kids are undersensitive or hyposensitive, and they need a lot more input for it to really register on, on their sensory systems. Most kids are kind of a mix of both. Um, and it depends, a lot depends on context, how well the child is sleeping, eating, um, how many demands are put on them, you know, that deter will do a lot to determine how a child interacts and, and manages their sensory world. Exactly. And um, could we speak a bit about the different senses? Like, Sure. So, um, you know, most people learn about the five senses in school, right? We all know the five senses. It's sort of a, a grammar school uh, lesson, um, but I, I'm going to give you a little bit more detail um, than what we normally think about. Let's start with the touch system. Um, you know, we think about, oh, what do you feel? Where do you feel it? Um, but also, is it a dangerous feeling? And I want you to think about light touch, which um, if you pull up the sleeve on your shirt or whatever you're wearing, and just sort of gently tap on the surface of your skin, that is light touch. That information travels to your brain along uh, uh, protective pathways um, up to the brain, and it, it alerts a person to danger. 
Now go back to your arm and give it a nice firm squeeze like you're getting a great massage. That is deep touch pressure and that travels on totally different pathways up to the brain. Um, and many of our kids have trouble with that light touch. That's why many of our kids with sensory issues can be very reactive to clothing, um, to you know another child just innocently brushing past them in a classroom, for example. It can feel like something they need to protect themselves against if they're hypersensitive. So you start to have those reactions. Um, there's also in the touch system, things to think about are the vibration of things like an air conditioning unit or a truck rumbling past. Some kids get very reactive to that. The temperature has to do with the tactile system. So changes in seasons can be hard for our kids. Going from uh, you know, the nice warm indoors out into the cold can be very difficult. Uh, and during the summer, going from the warm outdoors into the cooler indoors, these differentials in temperature can be troublesome for our kids. Um, food textures and temperature can also be difficult. Plus our kids can have prob you know, difficulty with their pain processing. Some kids are very undersensitive to pain while others are exquisitely sensitive to pain, howling if they get like a tiny little cut. So that's just the tactile system. Let's think about hearing. It's not just do you hear or not, right? Most of us start to hear at zero to 15 decibels of sound. That is the normal Typical, I hate the word normal, sorry. The, the typical expected hearing range. Now, some of our kids and teens and, and other adults um, can hear at zero decibels of sound or even as low as negative 15 decibels of sound. That's called hypersensitive hearing or hyperacusis. And when a person is hearing so much, it becomes very difficult to filter out irre irrelevant noise and process what's important. So the auditory system is flooded with all of this noise. And you can imagine, it's like if you or I went to an incredibly noisy restaurant, we would not be able to have a good conversation with our friend. And you can imagine a young child trying to deal with that in everyday life. So that's hypersensitive hearing. There's also some people are very sensitive to particular frequencies of sound. Um, so a high frequency sound that can be problematic for a child. Some typical ones are like hair dryers or um, the, uh, the hand dryers in public bathrooms can be very, really upsetting for kids. That's just a, a high frequency sound a lot of kids can't tolerate. So the auditory stuff, there, there's a lot of sensitivity there and kids can just become overstimulated by a lot of noise. Um, vision, it's not just how well do you see, do you need eyeglasses or not? There's a lot of visual processing skills that our kids need to develop. They need to be able to see well up close and far away for certain, but their, their eye muscles need to be able to move smoothly across a line of print 
in order to learn to read. They need to, it, you need to be able to fuse those two fields of vision coming out of your two eyes into one clear um, field of vision. Um, they need to be able to um, pick out one item out of a busy visual field, like finding mom in the supermarket um, or a teacher in a classroom. We need to be able to, kids need to be able to follow moving objects as, you know, like a ball um, to be able to watch that ball or be able to keep the visual field stable while they're moving. Some kids with sensory, visual sensory issues are very um, sensitive to glare and fluorescent lights and even some of those blue LED lights that um, are becoming more and more frequent. They can have contrast sensitivity problems. And that means like the, think about a page of, of print. You have black type on a white paper and some, some people have difficulty with that contrast. So the letters start to wiggle and break apart and move around. And I know this stuff sounds really kind of wacky. And unless you have sensory challenges, um, it doesn't seem possible, but there it is. Um, that, that's how it is uh, for our kids. And, and they can't tell us, gee, those letters are moving around on the page. I'm having trouble reading them. We, it just looks like difficulty learning how to read. So, um, all right, let's see. Other common sen commonly known sensory systems, taste and smell. Smells very special. It's the one sensory system that travels directly to the limbic system, which is the emotional center of the brain. Smell is the danger detection system, right? It's a very primitive sense. We can smell most toxic fumes, unfortunately, not all. You can smell smoke before you see it. You can smell rotten food before you taste it. So it becomes a very protective sense and you can imagine if a person is hypersensitive to smell, that beautiful food that mom or dad lovingly prepared can smell dangerous um, and really like really nasty to a child. And it doesn't seem right. Like how it's beautiful food. Why are you not eating it? And for this hypersensitive child, it may overwhelm their, their smell system. Um, some other problems that smell-sensitive kids can have are um, reactions to cleaning products and um, lotions and deodorant and perfume and, and this kind of thing. So there's a lot of the smell system is more important than we may realize. Um, both taste and smell contribute to feeding issues um, along with what I mentioned earlier, which is texture and temperature. And sometimes kids will become super picky eaters just because the food doesn't look right to them. Um, so some of our kids with, with taste issues, you know, um, the flavor issues um, may crave certain flavors, usually very sweet or salty food or even spicy food because it gives them more information about the food. So those are the common uh, systems that, that we all, you know, know about and now we know more about. Um, there are two really three other important sensory systems that I want to mention here. 
One is the vestibular system. It's located in the inner ear and it detects changes relative to gravity and speed. This is what tells you when you jump in the water, which way is up, how fast you're moving and so on. Very, very important to kids. If kids are hypersensitive to vestibular input, any kind of movement is gonna be disturbing or disorienting. So you have a baby with some vestibular issues and, and you put that baby down on a changing table and you've totally shifted their vestibular system and that can be very upsetting for a child. Um, it can be very confusing. They don't know where their bodies are in space. Uh, deeply, deeply upsetting. There is also something called the propriocep proprioception and that is based in the joints, muscles, and connective tissue of the body. And this tells you where your body parts are without looking. And that helps you to know, you know where your body parts are in space. And it's really important for fine motor skills like coloring and um, tying shoelaces and holding a spoon and learning how to use scissors and, and so on. If you take your arms, your hands, and join them together on up above your head, right? Try it. So how do your fingers know where the other fingertips are? They should meet uh, nicely up on top of your head. Um, it's your proprioceptive system that's working to create that for you. And proprioception and the vestibular system, think of them as working like a GPS system for the body so that you and your child know exactly where you are located on planet Earth at any given time. Super important for a sense of security and safety. And if, if they're a little bit off, that's, that's going to be a, a real problem uh, for your child. Finally, I want to mention interoception, and that's another sensory system that most of us have not heard of before. And that's how you have a sense of the physiological condition of your body. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? How fast is your heart beating? Do you need to use the, the toilet? This kind of thing. So that's an important sensory system as well. Now, I've been talking about these eight sensory systems, so not five senses, but eight senses. I've been talking about them as separate channels of information, but really they all work together, right? They're all, they should all be integrated by the brain and the body. Sometimes they don't integrate well. So, a child may be receiving this information, but not know what to do with it or be confused by it or disoriented by it. So if a child has difficulty with one or more of these senses, it's going to affect the whole child. The good news is when you start to give beneficial input into one sensory system, it benefits the whole child. So life is multi-sensory, right? So that's very important to keep in mind. So everything needs to be working together. Uh -huh. We spoke about 
different senses, but what would be the red flag for our parents t- to know his child has sensory difficulties? Okay, so um, there's a number of red flags and um, okay, what you're gonna look for is out of proportion reactions to things that to you it's like I don't I don't get it, I don't understand this. So things like being bothered by clothing fabrics, right? Being distressed by a light touch or unexpected touch. Uh, maybe your child really dislikes getting messy, like touching finger paints or play-doh, that kind of thing. Child has a really hard time with getting his or her hair shampooed or having his head rinsed, getting any water on the face. That's a common one. Really fighting any kind of grooming activities, hates getting hair brushed. And it's more than just that toddler, you know, pickiness. It's like, it's a real problem with brushing hair, that kind of thing. Someone who's very sensitive to sound, someone who's bothered by lights or patterns. If your child has a very high activity level or is really sedentary, like they're just kind of like, they don't want to move a whole lot, that's something to look at. If your child has an unusually high or very low pain threshold, if you're seeing a lot of motor skill and body awareness difficulties, like your child moves awkwardly or seems clumsy, that's something to think about. If your child is a super picky eater, um, that's worth, you know, that that's something to be thinking about. And picky eating, you know, all toddlers, all, you know, as, as children develop, their taste buds develop and, and they develop some very strong likes and dislikes. When I talk about a sensory driven feeding problem, I'm talking about a child who really limits to very, very few foods like um you know we'll eat maybe spaghetti with no sauce or chicken fingers only a certain brand of chicken fingers and maybe you know ice cream and that's it so really really extremely limited uh diet you can find um oh also a child who gets really quickly overstimulated in a group setting at a party, in a classroom, in like, you know, a toddler gym class. Um, You know, they may do fine at home or one-to-one, but then put them in a group and they get overstimulated. That's a big red flag. You can find on my website, which is sensorysmarts.com with an S at the end, sensorysmarts. Um, You can find a checklist that you're welcome to print out and you can fill that out for your child and and see, you know, are there a lot of red flags? That should help you as well. Uh-huh. And what kind of activities would you recommend for parents to do at home? Right. Um, it is a big question and absolutely everybody's different. And what you do at home has to do with what your child um, is able to do. The first thing, I'll give you some specific activities, but the first thing I want you to keep in mind is, is it something the child is interested in? Is it something that the child is capable of doing at that time? Or is it too big a leap? 
right? Anytime you want to pick an activity, you want it to be like achievable, right? So let's say your child hates getting messy. You're not going to set out finger paints, right? Or a major glue gluing project. You know, even though that's where you would like your child to eventually be able to go um, in his or her tolerance, you're not going to start there. So you're going to take little baby steps uh, for your kids. So the things you want to do are let's go into each of the sensory system and I'll, systems and I'll give you some ideas for kids who are super tactile, aversive. You want to. Um, Try to do Play-Doh, right? Play to me, Play-Doh is the best. Play-Doh is wonderful. Get Play-Doh and a fun factory. If the child does not want to touch that Play-Doh, you can give them a tool. So they don't have to touch the Play-Doh. They can use a stamper or, um, you know, there's lots of different cookie cutters that they can use. They don't have to put their hand in it. Same thing for painting. You know, uh, kids are often forced to do finger painting and it becomes, you know, it's it's we want to protect our kids for things that from things that terrify them. We don't want to push them. You need to push a little bit, but reasonably within their zone of proximal development. So finger painting, they don't have to finger paint. There's no law, but you could provide a paintbrush. You could provide gloves and slowly work towards it. The big thing with any of this is giving the child a sense of control. When a child has sensory problems, the world feels out of control and they feel at the mercy of their sensory experiences. So if you can give them a sense that they can control what happens in their life, it makes all the difference. So, um, you know, they don't wanna do finger painting, let's pull out the dot, the dua dot markers, right? It's, it's cleaner, it's neater. They don't want to use paste glue. So get a little squeeze bottle of glue and teach them how to work neatly with it. Believe me, when a child feels comfortable and they start to use these types of materials, they will get messy. And then you can work on that. Um, another thing with the tactile is, um, you, you want to desensitize them. Work with an occupational therapist on desensitization techniques. One of those that I love to do with young children is setting up a sensory bin of like dry, uncooked rice and beans, kind of like an indoor sanitary sandbox and have them play in that, put their hands in that you know, bury little favorite cars or little plastic animals and find them and do that. And that desensitizes the hands. Um, OTs also have uh, certain protocols for tactile desensitization that they can teach you. So that's the tactile sense. Also, give in for the sensory friendly clothing, right? There's no law that says they must wear seam socks with seams. You can, first of all, turn those socks inside out and get those seams off those sensitive feet. There are also seamless socks that are available. There's so many, you know, when I first started working 
with kids with sensory issues, you had to order these special things online. Um, it was like a big deal to get sensory friendly clothing. Today you can walk into Target. They have a line of uh, sensory friendly clothing called Cat and Jack. And, you know, lo and behold, it becomes much easier to accommodate those very real neurological needs for more comfortable clothing. Um, for auditory processing, you know, if a child tells you that their ears hurt, I want you to believe them and protect them. Our job as adults is to protect children from pain and build skills at the same time. So you're going to get sound reducing earmuffs for your super sound sensitive child who freaks out every time you go out to the playground. It is too loud for that child. They cannot tolerate it. So it's okay to protect their hearing with, with earmuffs um, for short periods. You're not gonna leave them on all day long. That doesn't help the child grow at all, but you're going to have it um, available for the really awful times for your child. And meanwhile, you're gonna work with an occupational therapist to build the underlying auditory sensory skills through something called therapeutic listening that um, your OT can explain to you or you can learn about in my book, Raising a Sensory Smart Child. In terms of visual processing, you must get to a developmental optometrist who can assess your child's vision and visual processing skills. Your resource for that is covd.org. You plug in your zip code, you'll get a list of the developmental optometrists close to you. That stands for the College of Optometrists in Vision Development, covd.org. So you want to make sure there's nothing going on with the visual system. At least 50% of the kids that I evaluate and work with have an undiagnosed vision problem that can be corrected. You always wanna look at that, um, you know, at the medical piece first, as well as for the auditory processing. Your child's sound sensitive. Are they getting a lot of ear infections? Maybe you need to get to an audiologist and see if there's any residual fluid in the ear that's distorting sound for your child. Always consider the medical first. Now, you may think, well, my pediatrician checks out my child's vision and hearing whenever we go. These are screenings. These are screenings. They're not evaluations. So it's very important to have children's vision actually evaluated. So in terms of what a parent can do for the visual stuff is um, avoid fluorescent lights, avoid blue LED lights, change the bulbs, um, turn off the overhead lights, especially in the bathroom. A lot of times kids won't brush their teeth, won't use the potty, won't, you know, will fuss at bath time because they cannot tolerate the lighting. So change the lighting, right? You can do that. You can add a different kind of lamp, a different kind of light bulb. If for some reason there's absolutely nothing you can do about that lighting, you can use a light diffuser. 
So let's say you're in a rental, there's no opportunity to add any other kind of lighting. You're stuck with that light, otherwise you have a dark bathroom. You can get right on online from Amazon uh, something called Cozy Shades, and that is a, a fabric, a, a fire retardant fabric um, that you can put right over, uh, safely right over a light fixture. It attaches with magnets. And that's going to um, diffuse some of that awful lighting that a number of children really react uh, against. Uh, taste and smell, you want to throw out, make sure you throw out any household garbage each night. You want to experiment. Maybe there are some essential oils that your child really loves and diffuse that Um if appropriate in a bedroom to help your child sleep, you can find that beloved essential oil, put it on a little cotton ball, put that cotton ball in a baggie and carry it around so that your child can smell that when um, they're in situations where they tend to get reactive um, about smell. Um, sometimes smell is also, smell sensitivity is also speaks to some medical issues, some nutritional imbalances, such as with zinc. So you may want to explore that a bit. Um, you know, here in this short format, I can't go too much into feeding tips. There's lots of those in my book. The vestibular system you want to give lots of opportunities to move uh, for kids who are seeking out vestibular input, but you want to do it at a time that's appropriate. So let's say your child starts jumping around and spinning in circles and, you know, kind of bouncing off the walls whenever it's time to sit down for dinner. You want to start to think, okay, I'm gonna give intense movement opportunities about 20 minutes before dinner. So, okay, we're gonna climb a lot of stairs, gonna jump on a mini trampoline with a safety bar to hold on to, or jump on a mattress on the floor, or use a sit and spin, or um, uh, you know, another intense get to the playground, get those yayas out before it's time for calmer uh, kinds of behavior. Uh, proprioceptive input, you wanna give lots of opportunities to push and pull, to throw things, not at baby sister, right? But at targets. You wanna follow your child's lead. Do they need to climb things? Do they need to use the big strong muscles of their body so they can learn the limits of their body? There's lots of fun activities you can find um, right online at gonoodle.com. That's G-O-N-O-O-D-L-E, gonoodle.com. There's also an app but you can find it um, on, uh, you know, right on the internet, and that'll give you a lot of ideas for activities. Um, so I've given you a bunch of activities here. I mean, try to integrate it into daily life. You have to go to your washing machine. Have your child help pull out the wet laundry from the washing machine and put it into the dryer. That's unbelievably good, beneficial sensory input right there. Have your child push the grocery cart 
in the supermarket or that help you push the baby stroller out on the street, this kind of thing, integrated into your daily life. I have tons more activities and suggestions on the Sensory Smarts website and of course many, many others in my books. So how do you find your website? Um, I have two websites. The main one is sensorysmarts.com, S-E-N-S-O-R-Y-S-M-A-R-T-S.com. And then I also, and that that's where you're going to find a lot of tips, a lot of articles, webinars, uh, free podcasts, um, a lot of info there. That, that you're gonna find very practical and useful. There, I have a second one for my second book, which is more for professionals, and that is sensoryprocessingchallenges.com. Uh, th- thank you so much, uh, Lindsay, for the time you took and for all your wonderful tips, and I really appreciate it. Oh, it's such my pleasure. And I wanna tell parents, it's gonna get better, This is going to get better. It's, you know, kids develop, a lot of kids grow out of a lot of their sensory issues, especially with an understanding parent and with professional assistance. Do get an occupational therapy evaluation. You can get it through your state's early intervention system um, if your child is under age three or through your local school system if your child is three and older. An OT who has this specialized training, which is not all OTs, um, but what I call a sensory smart OT can really help you zoom forward with this stuff. Okay. Okay, thanks again. You're so welcome. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Sensory Change Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe. For more information on sensory input and ideas, visit danalatta.com. Join our community this month to get a free seven-day online course packed with practical sensory activities and strategies.